Welcome to the Conscious Christian Conversations podcast. I'm Tanya. And I'm Kyleen. We are two spunky Christians with diverse backgrounds and life experiences who want to encourage each other and you listening to challenge your subconscious beliefs. Each episode, the two of us will be having a conversation around a specific topic that we may or may not have different perspectives on. If you haven't already, please listen to episode one to learn what we are all about. Without further ado, here is today's episode. Well, hey, we're talking about hierarchy of sin today. Oh, I'm so yeah. unprepared. <laughs> You're so unprepared. Is I'm so unprepared. Yeah. I mean, I had notes last week, but then um, I didn't look at them since. So we'll see what happens. It's okay. I, I came prepared today for a change. So like we take care of each other. It's all good. Good, good, good. All right. So um, just a little background on kind of why I wanted to have this discussion. Sure. Um is because in Bible study, in women's Bible study, we're going through the book of Acts. And um, we were having a conversation about Ananias and Sapphira, who, um, in case anybody doesn't remember, um, it was right at the beginning of the church being formed, right after Pentecost, lots of conversions happening. Everybody was basically selling all of their stuff and pooling it together so that Everybody who had a lot gave to people who didn't have anything. And it was just like this really loving um, place to be. And so Ananias and Sapphira had sold a portion, no, had sold their land, but kept a portion of that money back for themselves, mm -hmm. but donated the rest of it saying, this is what we got for our land. And basically, this was all of it. They were lying and it. saying, yeah. Yeah. It's not, it, the issue isn't that they kept some of the issues that they no. lied about it. Yeah. And, and Peter, Peter. I think it was Peter. He was like, why the heck did you do it? It's your money. It was your right to keep back whatever you wanted and give what you wanted, but you lied about it. And not only did you lie about it, like the problem is you lied about it to God, not to men. Like this was a sin against God directly. And then they both Ananias and Sapphira dropped down dead. Like they didn't, they weren't executed. <laughs> no, it's like, it's like, God wait, what? <laughs> like instantaneous death for lying. I wonder how yeah. God feels about lying y'all. Well, I know. So then we started having this conversation about, um, so it, it was kind of funny because, um, we were, <sighs> Jeffrey Dahmer came up in this conversation and they're like, oh, I've got a partner here. <laughs> I love your cat. That's so adorable. Your little cat here. Um, so we were talking about how Dahmer, um, you know, like you can't really, from a, from a human being standpoint, you can't really get worse than Dahmer, right? Not only did he murder a bunch of people, but then he ate them. I mean, like, can you really think of anything much more disgusting than that? Maybe in some twisted mind you can, I don't even want to try to think about it. It's just, you know, that's really the epitome of what man thinks is like the worst possible thing you could do as another human being. And so, so then we started talking about, um, because I had made the comment about how much God hated um, greed and deceit from this passage in Acts, which is Acts 5, Acts five, um, well, basically the chapter Acts fives. So if anybody wants to look at that, but, um, and then, and then we, we started having the conversation and somebody else, um, made a comment about how nobody in their right mind is ever going to follow the example of jo Jeffrey Dahmer. Like nobody is going to think that's a good idea or that there's anything good about what he did. So it was kind of a, an isolated, incident that didn't impact anyone outside of himself and his victims and his victims' families. And then you look at somebody who's, you know, a regular churchgoer, 
um, but who and that people look up to, and you know, maybe they're even a leader in the church, and then is starting to tell, you know, gossip and you know, starting to do all of these things, or maybe lies, or maybe steals some money and then but justifies it in a way that people are like, oh, okay, that makes sense. You know, using, all of these little things. Using using Bible verses to oppress people. Sure. Like any of that. And people are going to say, oh, that makes sense. Like I, I get that. And then they start following this other person who's respected along a very, very bad road, right? That takes them completely away from God. And so we were talking about what does God see is the worst sin. And when she pointed it out that way, I was like, you know, that makes a lot of sense that he would like, I, I don't really think that God values our lives the same way we do. He values them in the way that it we can use this life that we're given to come to him versus us, like for, for ma- ma- the majority of humans, like life is the end all be all, like this is it, this is all we have. So when someone takes it, that's like the worst thing that you could do. But in God's eyes, if you've come to him, it's, this is not like, this is a little blip on the radar and you get eternal life with him. So he doesn't really see it. Like you just get to come be with him faster. So maybe he doesn't look at taking another person's life as heinous as we do. But if somebody steals his followers from him, or he loses one of his children because they followed this bad um, teaching, then that to him would be like a dagger in the heart, right? Like that would be the true murder for him. Like it's murdering his, the spirit. So anyway, I just, it was a lot on my mind and I just wanted to kind of have a conversation about that. And um, because that totally flipped what I thought in on, on its head, right? Like I always thought you can't get much worse than murder, but um, this kind of really put some other stuff into perspective. So, so thoughts, Kylie. <laughs> Very good thoughts, Tanya. Way to start us off. Um, I, I think I do disagree. I think, um, I really do believe that all sin is equal in God's eyes. And here, here are a couple reasons why I'm just going to tell you a spiritual revelation that I had just yesterday. Okay. Okay. So I was listening. I, well, I wasn't, I was at the gym and I heard a Nickelback song. I used to love Nickelback by the way, but, um, there's a, uh, there's a phrase in this song, playboy bunnies with bleach blonde hair. And I I started mulling on it, how, um, years and years and years ago, I've never condoned pornography. I never liked it. I always thought it was harmful and sinful and and wrong, but you know, you hear all this stuff in pop culture and it doesn't necessarily trigger you or bother you. It's just, it's, it's there. Right. And, and so it never bothered me before. And it didn't particularly like trigger me or bother me yesterday. But I started thinking about how pervasive this is in our culture and how normalized it is and how once you've experienced something like I have where pornography almost destroyed your relationship, destroyed your self-confidence, really uh, caused an addiction in your husband, almost destroyed him. He was, you know, he talks about how he doesn't know if it would have gotten this far, but he feels like he was very close to taking his own life because he was so desperate, caught Mm -hmm. up in this addiction. And he was so, I mean, it was affecting our financial stability, finances. It was affecting um, his physical and mental health. And then when it came out, it almost destroyed our relationship. And then after that, I had to deal with the trauma and the impact and the outcome of that behavior. And it impacted my mental health. It impacted my physical health. I mean, and it just had this tremendously destructive ripple effect. 
So when you, when you experience something like that, all of a sudden you feel differently about it. You have a different mental, emotional, and physical response to, oh, this is just in the culture and it's just promoted as the norm. And, you know, you see things like hashtag word porn or hashtag food porn. Like it's normalized in so many ways and put into your subconscious that this is just something that people do. And then it hit me as I was kind of mulling through all of this, how, oh, it's interesting. You know, I, I, I didn't really bother me necessarily before very much, even though I didn't like it. And now I just view it so differently as such an evil, destructive thing. And it clicked to me that I'm like, this, this is God. This is this God has the knowledge of everything all the time. So while it takes an experience sometimes for us to realize the devastating outcome of sin, because he is pure, because he is holy, because he is truth and right and justice and love, and everything is like a hundred percent perfection with him, he recognizes and understands in a way that we can't how devastating things that go against him are and what those ripple effects are and the destruction that it causes. And he feels that. And so the reason he says these things are wrong and, and he gets sad and he gets angry about them is not because he's controlling. It's because he recognizes the pain and the devastation that it causes. Totally. So kind of applying that to this conversation, I think that he would feel that pain and understand the depth and destruction of all sin because, I mean, he talks in the Bible about, about lying, right? So the ripple effect of lying versus versus a serial killer, right? Like one is extreme and acute and dramatic and traumatizing. And we think, oh, it's just a little, a little lie. Well, no, it destroys trust. And it, it, it works on your soul when you become somebody that, um, that's not having integrity with yourself or with others. And it ties these different webs. So my view of it really, when it comes to sin is that on earth, in terms of how humans relate to humans, we're going to have different consequences for behavior. So mm -hmm. we're going to value a life with um, a high, high priority. So if somebody murders somebody, they're going to face uh, judgment from other humans on this earth to protect other human life. And they're going to be put away. And we're not going to do that um, for somebody who has lied to somebody else right. because, because they're still living and all, but there's like a soul destruction that comes from lying for the person who has lied. And for the person who receives the lie, because then, then trust is, um, betrayed. And then you start doubting people. And then there's just this web that is fun. That is very hard to, to get out of. So I think there's different consequences and different responses. But if I think when we think we think as humans, obviously, because there's no way that we right. can't, right? Because we are. Right. Right. Um, but in my mind, if I can pretend to tap into God's mind a little bit or hope that I'm maybe getting some understanding from this, that he, he really feels on a deep level every sin. And oh, I'm not disagreeing with that. Yeah, because, yeah. but I'm saying like, I think he understands the depths of it and the destruction, the ripple effect in a way that maybe we don't. And I think that's part of why, um, and there's some verses too that I, I would pull up to kind of back this up. I think that human consequences vary, mm -hmm. but anything that goes against God is held up to the same standard that it goes against me and it's equal in offense. Yeah, I, I see your point. One of the things, so in kind of doing some research with this topic and, and I don't disagree with you that he abhors all sin. Like that's very, very clear all throughout the Bible. Like it doesn't really matter. And I've heard the theory and maybe it is true that he holds them all equally reprehensible, 
But as I was kind of digging into um, the, the times where God in the Bible has actually killed somebody himself, as opposed to a consequence, you know, from, from man or something, um, I started seeing this pattern that they all were things that were against him or his people. And I started thinking even just this morning, as I was kind of meditating on it a little bit, um, ruler. So like the bulk of who he killed was usually somebody like people against the Israelites. Right. And if you think about how small the tribe of Israel was, especially way back in the early days, and they were, if, if they didn't have protection, like they would have been wiped out. Like, and then he, he would have no followers on earth, right? Like the chance to spread his message and to have Jesus come down and save mankind or yeah, to be the savior for mankind, like that, his plan would just be done. And so, so he would wipe out the enemies of the Israelites, or he would allow the bad things to happen, you know, the slavery, but he eventually delivered them because things were getting so bad, like they were killing off the firstborns of the Israelites, right? The, the male, so they couldn't continue to, uh, so, so, so they couldn't continue to, to basically grow because they were getting too big. And when you look at what happened back in Noah's time, when sin was so rampant and there were basically no more followers of God, like he kind of did a do-over. He's like, all right, Noah, you, you still believe me, you follow me, your heart is pure. I'm going to wipe everybody out and we're going to start over again. And then the, the world was repopulated. And so this time he protected those that were following him. And, you know, then we look at individual things like um, uh, Ananias and Sapphira, who this happened at the very beginning of the church. And if Satan had gotten able, was able to kind of get a hold and be like, oh, it's okay if you do these little lies, like it's no big deal. That church would have fallen apart before it even got started. So he really intervened there. And then there was um, uh, in Herod, uh, in, in Acts a little bit later, when Herod went up and was, uh, I, I think he was proclaiming peace that they had, he had been sued for peace. So he was going to give it. And because, because God moved his heart to do so. And then when they started worshiping him, they're like, oh, this is, this is a God. This is not a man. These are words from a God. And they started to worship Herod and Herod's just standing there, like taking in their adoration and God struck him down. And it's like, no, no, you're not going to steal my followers from me. Like, you know, so every time he struck somebody down, like over and over again, there was one in first Samuel that um, first Samuel 2 25 if one man sins against another God will mediate for him but if a man sins against the Lord who can intercede for him and so I just see this pattern over and over of anything that's pulling people away from him is when he steps in and he takes he's like no no like let's get rid of this problem right now and so that's where I started thinking okay like he didn't do it with Cain and Abel Abel was his favorite but Cain killed Abel out of jealousy God didn't strike Cain down. There was nobody to have any implications on that. You know what I mean? Like we look at Cain as being this evil person in the Bible, but God just kind of let him go off and, and do his thing. And so well, he was permanently marked. Like people knew who well, he was and he was right. And, but that's what I'm saying is like, I don't know, maybe, maybe my thoughts aren't making sense because I haven't fully formed them myself, but I just was, you know, reading through and just noticing yeah. that anytime it seemed like someone was pulling uh, somebody or a group of people away from God, he would come in and he would, you know, eliminate mm -hmm. that problem usually through death. And so mm -hmm. then I started thinking, okay, well, it's not necessarily a punishment. And maybe this is a way to look at it. It's not necessarily a punishment that he's meeting out 
so much as an intervention to prohibit people from continuing to, you know, follow the wrong path kind of, mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so your, your view and my view could be right at the same time, because mm-hmm. it's not necessarily a hierarchy so much as the consequence, like you were saying of the sin right. that was committed to prevent worsening downstream effects. Well, and that's kind of what I was thinking while you were talking is these are still consequences that are enacted on earth because of mankind mm-hmm. and, um, for our interactions with each other. And, um, the old Testament was a lot of like establishing rules and boundaries and laws and like learning what, what God's ultimate law was learning what holiness and obeying God meant and kind of establishing culture and establishing, you know, how, um, court systems should work and how these things should be laid out. But he had a very unique relationship with Israel that he didn't have with these other nations where he would intercede for them because he, they were his chosen people. Mm-hmm. And then in the new Testament, we see that shifts in terms of how it works. Meaning, um, once Jesus came, you see a lot less of God's presence, like physically on the earth, because then he, he sent the Holy spirit. So we have Jesus as the intercessor, and then we have the Holy spirit prompting us. Right. And, um, I could be wrong because I haven't really looked into it, but I want, uh, Ananias and Sapphira, God intervening like that is like one of the only things in the new Testament where I can think of where it was kind of similar to the old Testament, where it was like God intervened. Yeah. Because, because normally it's correct. Because normally it's, um, you know, once Jesus left the earth, it's like the Holy Spirit prompting and then, you know, free will is in charge and God allows things to happen because of free will and he wants us to choose him. And so that's why he leaves it enacted and all this kind of stuff. So I guess the only other one that I ran across was that the Herod situation, which was a couple, like six or seven chapters further on in Acts, where he, where, where it's, it stated that um, the Lord struck down Herod basically. Mm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, other than that, yeah, I think you're right. I, I don't know that there were too many other examples. There become there it becomes less and less, right? So there's right. like a couple situations, but it's not the same as like in the Old Testament. It's like oh, right. God's presence was like physically on Earth in the he was smiting people it, left and right. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean that that is how he interacted with his people before Jesus came. Like that's that's what he did, and right. it started and it progressively got less and less because it started with total vulnerability and intimacy in the Garden of Eden, and then once sin entered the world, um, that interaction became less and less probably because of sin and the stupid choices that humanity has made <laughs> throughout yeah. history. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, I would, that's an interesting perspective of like kind of noticing, okay, well, when did he do these things? He intervened to protect his people and to protect um, his truth um, to achieve the ultimate goal of, um, you know, the, the uh, Israelite um, genealogy so that Jesus could come so that we could be given the Holy spirit. Cause he had this plan. Right. Um, so, I mean, this is almost getting into a, a deeper conversation of, um, predetermination versus free will, but we don't have to go there today. Um, no, but we definitely have to go there. Cause I have some interesting thoughts that I've been thinking about that lately. And I'd love your take on it. Oh my gosh. It's so, oh. it's so hard. It's so hard. I know. I know. So one of the, um, one of the verses oh. that comes up when I'm, when I'm thinking about this is James two ten, but I'll start in nine, but if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors for whoever keeps the whole law, but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Mm. So that's where I think it's like, okay, well, I just lied. Okay. But you're guilty of murder. 
you're guilty of stealing. Like, that is such a driving force in to mm. me of saying like, you did this one thing, but you're guilty of breaking all of the laws mm. because you're going against me. And, um, mm. you know, so it's like, for, he gives an example here for he who said, do not commit adultery also said, do not commit murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Hmm. So I think with mm-hmm. God and like his purity and his holiness, he's like, listen, this is the ultimate standard. And it doesn't really matter like how you go against this. It's wrong. Hmm. Hmm. Well, one of the things too, as you were just talking and when you were talking about kind of the old Testament and how people interacted or how he interacted with his people and you know, my, um, PTSD around the vengeance and the wrathful God and the, the issues <laughs> yeah. that I had on that. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, as I'm like hearing you talk and like thinking through this and reading, doing this research that I was looking into, like, I see now that his wrath was out of love. Mm. Like I used to think he was just yeah. such an angry, like do as I say, yeah. Without really understanding, like his motivation was love, even though he took, like he killed all these people and, and right. it, it was because he doesn't want to lose us. Like he is trying to eliminate as many of the problems as he can to keep us on the right path to him. And that, mm-hmm. that makes me think of like all of the times that I've unfairly called him ren- vengeful and wrathful and no, I know, but I mean, that that's what I was thinking about with my, with my little revelation about, you know, the music and porn and stuff like this is, um, you know, it's because he loves us. Yeah. It's because he loves us that he, because he knows what truth looks like. He knows what holiness looks right. like. He knows what, he knows what communion with him and doing the right thing. He knows what that feels like. And he yeah. understands the devastation that not doing that brings in our lives, all the stupid choices that we make that go against truth and holiness and righteousness and justice and mercy and all these things that he is. When we make any decision, big or small, that goes against that, it's going to bring pain in our lives. So it's not, I don't, yeah, I don't view it as him being like, I'm going to bring the hammer down. I view it as him being like, I really want to protect you by giving you these guidelines Mm -hmm. because there are such extreme consequences on earth when, when you don't follow them and it's painful and, and, and it's not just painful for you. It's painful for generations mm-hmm. because that, that behavior and those genes that are turned on in your body, when you have drama or when you interact with in the world in this way, and when you sin that like epigenetics has proven yeah. that in the Bible, when it says the sins are passed on um, generation and generation, like generation. it literally is. Yeah. And so, so now we have people, you know, breaking general generational curses by dealing with trauma and changing the patterns and recognizing these behaviors and stuff like that. So I think that all comes into play. Like he sees that and we don't necessarily see how one lie that we tell one secret that we have, um, you know, impacts maybe our grandchildren. And so he can, he knows what that is when, when that happens and what the depth of that is. Yeah. And that's, that's something that I have always believed for a really long time is that all of these rules and all these things that are considered sin are considered that way because they hurt us ultimately. And he's trying to protect us from that. So he gives us this list of rules mm-hmm. and then, you know, like you can just look at the state of where we're at right now, just in the world. Like m- most of the rules that we've been given are being not followed. And we can see the pain and the suffering that is rampant. Like, I don't know of anybody who is not touched by the sin that's happening in the world right now. And, and 
I don't know that he necessarily cares about the acts themselves, except for, like you said, the consequences that come of those and the pain it causes us. And that causes us that separation from him, which is ultimately what he's concerned about. That's what um, I was just pulling up this verse. So Isaiah 59, 2 says, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. So, and, and there's no qualification within that. So anything that we do that goes against his character and you know, that that's considered a sin, right? Basically going against who God is and disobeying him is a sin. And so when we go against God's character, then that, that puts separation. And it's so I'm just thinking out loud while I'm talking. Um, that happens on earth too, right? Like I, I keep harping on the lie, but like it's an easy example, right? So any you you lie to your partner and it's the first time you catch it, you're like, hmm, there's a little, a little thought there and it drives a little wedge of separation. And then it happens again. And you're like, well, uh, this is like the second time that happened. That doesn't make sense. I thought you were somebody I could trust. And then you it happens again. And, and that barrier keeps getting further and further and further and further and further apart in our human relationship. We can't trust and we can't have intimacy. We can't have vulnerability with somebody that we don't believe is going to, you know, be have integrity and do what they say they're going to do and show up on time and be honest with us right if we think that we're in a relationship with a chronic liar like you know and so any sin no matter how small that goes against who god is and what he's guided for your life is going to drive that wedge of separation and if you are you know i think as humans we like to qualify sins a lot well this one isn't as bad as that one and so we make excuses for it and so it's like okay well you know, gluttony is on the list, but you know, right. Like yeah. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna have my, you know, whatever. And so we, we qualify them. We go, well, that gluttony isn't as bad as murder. Right. right. So God's going to forgive me, but you know, you know, that any sin lying or whatever, um, adultery, murder, stealing, those are all behaviors, envy, right? These are mm-hmm. all behaviors that are going to drive you away from the character and being of God. And they're going to drive you away from intimacy and vulnerability and trust with him. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I guess in that regard, the, the only hierarchy of sin that does exist is in the man, in man's mind. Like we definitely have, you know, petty theft versus murder, definitely Mm -hmm. two different types of, you know, crimes, but, you know, looking at it from the, the more eternal aspect, both of them are are driving a wedge between, and like, I, I'm going to have to go back and look at that James verse that you pointed out and kind of study that a little bit more about, you know, if you, if you transgress one, you you're guilty of them all. I don't, yeah. I don't remember that one. So um, yeah, well, that and, would be pretty clear that he doesn't value one over the other. Right. And then in the fact of how it pulls you away from him, regardless of, of in what form it takes. Right. And how, how it pulls you away from him and how it, um, the ripple effect that it has with humans while you're on earth. Yeah. You know, I think he can negatively affect other people in their relationship with him. Right. So, and then we have, we have Romans 323, which is super famous for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So there are verses like that in the, in the James two, where there really aren't qualifications. It's just, if you sin, like the penalty for that sin is death. And it's like, whoa, whoa, that's an equal penalty for all sins. Like, that's true. Wait, like, so so, I didn't think about it like that before. So like, if I lie, like I don't deserve to get into heaven. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Like, it's like, okay, if the standard to get into heaven is perfection and nobody's going to achieve that, it doesn't really matter if you're a liar or a cheater or a serial killer, that's the standard. 
And I think we just really, because of the consequences and because of our human minds, we really like to qualify sins and be like, well, I'm not as bad as that person. Yeah. Right. You know, I'm not as bad as that person. So I can get into heaven because I do good things. Right. And it's like, no, it, it's all equal. It all hinders us from, from that pureness, from that holiness and, um, and from having that relationship with God. And it, and it completely diminishes our ability to be with him for eternity, except that he said, I will forgive you if you just tell me like that you accept my gift and and repent and repentance. Yeah. Yeah. That you repent and that you recognize that you're not worthy and you believe that I've offered you this gift and that you accept it. And then, and then it's just by faith. It has nothing to do with your works. And I think that kind of goes into it too. Cause if it's like, if we qualify sins, then that, that falls really easily into the theology of like works, getting you into heaven. And it's like, well, I'm not as bad as that person. So maybe I'll have a a bigger mansion than them in heaven, right? Like, right. I'm not as bad as that person. And I think maybe they're going to heaven because they're pretty good. So I'm definitely getting into heaven. It's like, well, no, it's a heart thing. It's a heart thing. Right. Well, and I, and, and so again, in this Bible study going through acts and we're talking about Simon, the magician, right. Mm -hmm. And that he, um, he became a convert and he started following Philip. Um, and then when he saw Peter and John or Peter and Paul, no, Paul wasn't converted yet. So I think it was Peter and John anyway, laying of hands and bringing the Holy Spirit into these people who had followed him. And he's like, I'll give you money for that. Like, let me be able to do that too. And they're like, no, no, you're missing the whole point. Like, that's not what's happening here. This is God that's happening here. You can't, this isn't you. And so then I kind of started thinking about, you know, kind of what you just said um, in that with like, we can't get into heaven with works, but faith without works is dead. And I started thinking like, we think of work as like an outward act. We think of work of like feeding the homeless or donating, you know, money or something. But what if works is really the work that we do internally? Oh, I believe that it is. Like when you say works, I think, I think fruits of the spirit and what are the fruits of the spirit? You know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, those are manifestations of changes within the heart because you're communing with God and because you're becoming a sanctified person who's growing in likeness towards Christ. Yeah. And and that, that changes everything that changes how that changes how you interact with people. It changes your willingness to do stupid shit, like lying about small stuff, right? Like it, it, it changes your behavior. It changes how you talk to people. It changes how you view people and their value. It changes like um, you know, just gently, like the idea of gentleness, like a gentle spirit, right. Mm-hmm. Um, that to me, when you put all these together, it's like the person that really doesn't get triggered or riled up by stuff because they are really right. like complete and yes. whole and they know the truth and they commune with the truth and they don't need to get riled up and argumentative. Like discussions are cool. Right. Which is exactly what you and I do on here. We, we get, right. get on and just, but, um, but there's, we're, we're not like putting each other down. I, right. I, cer- I certainly hope not. <laughs> no. um, I'm so much smarter than her. My ideas uh, are way better than her yeah. ideas. I mean, there's, this is more like iron sharpening iron, right? Like you build each other up, you challenge right. each other. You, you say, Hey, what about this? Hey, what about this? Well, I don't know. What about this? You know? Um, yeah. So yeah, it's a hard thing. And, you know, sometimes you might think, well, I'm really, I'm smarter than this person or, you know, whatever, but it, it's like, let's work. You know, those are hard things that when you, um, that's like the idea of sanctification that those pieces of ourselves become less and less and less and less and less. Right. We stop thinking of our, like everything, my intelligence, my gifts as a doctor, my, you know, patience with my kids, like those are all gifts that I've been given 
and and so then I also you know as part of this axing that I was thinking of is just like all of the the pride that we take in who we are and what we've accomplished that really are gifts from God. And so we're taking credit. And this was when I was reading through the Herod piece, we're taking credit for what God has given us. And so I started really like evaluating my own pride and, you know, just like, you know, you run across somebody that maybe hasn't studied a particular topic that you know a lot more about. And you're like, wow, that person's dumb. Like, I'm sorry. Oh my gosh. I had thoughts about that before, you know, it's like, oh, I get it. I get it. But this is so funny. Because just when you said that, I just watched a, a TikTok video and guys, I learned so much from TikTok. I'm just being honest. Um, but <laughs> she, she talked about the curse of knowledge, which is exactly what she said. And that is the idea that once you understand something and you have learned something, it's like the empathy for somebody not knowing oh, that yes. goes out the window. Yes. Like five minutes ago, you didn't know that. But if somebody yeah. else doesn't know that, you think they're mm-hmm. stupid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's so like, I'm like part of the human condition. This. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, first of all, the arrogance of thinking that, like, what are they better at than I am? Like, they might know something about cars and I have, I know you put gas in and I know how to drive it and that's about it. Like, you know what I mean? But then we value different things differently. And it kind of goes into that human, that humanness again, where it's like, well, you know, well, I have a title of a doctor. So clearly I'm smarter than everybody else. And it's like, "Mm, no, I don't think so. Like you talk to somebody on the politics of this or, you know, looking at, you know, the law or whatever it is. And we're all dumb and we're all really smart. It's just the topics that we, (laughs) you know what I mean? We are Um, all dumb. I love that. I think we should wrap it up with that. We are all stupid. And, um, and that is the takeaway from this conversation. We're all just, we're just all dumb. (laughs) We're all dumb. No. Um, but you know, another thing, just to kind of wrap up the conversation with the, um, hierarchy idea is, is what, and you may have, this may have to be a separate episode. Um, cause you might have a different thought on this, but when I, when you think about hierarchy of sin, so we've, we've established that yes, there is a hierarchy of consequences between humans on earth. Um, but if you're thinking on the spiritual realm about how God feels about things, the answer to that question would essentially- In our estimation, what we believe is true. The well, no, the, no, the answer to that question would be how he responds in eternity. And, um, I don't think that's based on, yeah, that's not based on like opinion. That's just based on like God and what he would do. Right. Like, so, um, so if do the question then becomes now, this is the human interpretation because we don't know yet we're not there. Right. But we can pull from the Bible and kind of think through it maybe. And that is, well, what do you think happens when you die? And in, in my understanding, it is that, well, if you believe, you believe and the end result for everyone that believes is exactly the same. Mm -hmm. And so are you saying like, what happens when you die? Like, can you be more specific about that? What are you talking about? Right. So what I'm saying is, so when you die, um, then you, uh, there is no hierarchy of serial killer versus little liar. Right. Mm -hmm. You, if you die and you have believed, then um, the eternal consequences are all equal. Right. Yeah. And that is actually that was part of the conversation too, because somebody had heard from our Bible study, somebody had heard that Dahmer before he died actually accepted Jesus. And, mm. you know, and so then we had the, the conversation is like, really? So he did all these horrific things. And then he's just going to get into heaven just like that, because right before he died, he'd converted. And to us, we're like, there's no justice in that. And then to God, yeah. he's like, you know, my but child came home to me, you know, here's the question that's going to trigger everyone. Uh Oh, 
why do we think that we are better than Jeffrey Dahmer. I know exactly. And that's what I've kind of been thinking through with all of that is like, how are, how are the ways that I'm sinful any better than the ways anybody else is sinful. And hence, you know, coming back to he without blame cast the first stone, right? Like we're not to judge because we got our our own issues. We got our own planks we got to deal with. (laughs) And in his view, like they're all the same. So why are we assigning, you know, I'm a better person than this other person? Yeah. And when you take all of that kind of and compound it into one different thing, I think the way as a Christian to live life is to focus on personal responsibility for your behavior because yes. you are not in charge of anybody else. You can't change anyone else. You can't control anyone else. What you can do is look internally. And the Bible mentions that as a concept over and over and over again. And then when it, when it is appropriate to, to intercede um, with other humans on their behavior is when it impacts other humans in a negative way. And that is why we have the law. That is why mm. we have the consequences that are a little bit different be, depending on the behavior. But generally as a, as a normal human living in America going day to day, your, your primary focus should be on yourself. And on your responsibility, on your behavior, growing and changing your heart and um, working on your issues. (laughs) Like that's that's everyone's responsibility. And that is, if you think about, man, if everybody did that, the world would be a great place. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, if if you just kind of evaluate what works really means, and maybe this is time for another conversation as well, but you know, I, up until this conversation today, or, you know, the research that I was doing leading up to it, I always, I always thought of works as like actual works, things that you could do that people can see and it has an actual end result that is like tangible. And now I'm thinking uh, that I've been looking at it wrong this whole time. Like works mm-hmm. is those internal battles that you're fighting. And, you know, the, the struggle of, making time to pray every day and to walk with Jesus and to choose him every minute in every decision, which is a very hard thing to do. But, you know, those works are really what make the difference because then you're more open to him and the, and the spirit moving you. And then, and then you're able to do the other works that I used to think were the important ones that it's not really, it's not really works. It's just you fulfilling what the spirit is doing for you or with you or through you or whatever you want to say. Yes. And I think, um, uh, before we hop off here, the last thing that I would say is just like we can ask the question, why do we think that we are better than Jeffrey Dahmer? We can also ask the question, why do we think that a missionary in Africa is more worthy than, than we are? Because you, again, it's the ripple effect. They may be converting a culture or a tribe in this lifetime, you may be having a very personal impact on one one individual in your sphere of influence that then impacts 10 generations down. Yeah. Yeah. We have no idea the the extent to which he can use us. Mm-hmm. I mean, a perfect example of that is the stoning of Stephen, right? In again in Acts, but he was stoned to death for his belief. And and um that there's, there's a theory that that stoning death is what ultimately led to, to Saul's conversion to Paul. And Mm -hmm. I mean, if you think about Paul, besides Peter, I don't think there's anybody else in the Bible who had a bigger impact. And that came from witnessing Stephen's death. 
or at least in part, right. His, his, his testimony and his death. And so it was just like, but Stephen had no idea. Like he never knew, right. So, but God does. So yeah. Good talk. All right. Good talk. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Our mission on this podcast is to probe topics within the Christian faith to ensure that what we believe is in alignment with scripture and that we understand why we believe what we do. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd love for you to leave a five-star review and share it with a friend. Did this topic challenge your belief? Did we give you a new perspective? Or did it solidify what you already knew to be true? Leave us a comment and tell us your thoughts. We can't wait to hear from you. 